This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. So if you have your Bibles, not just follow up with me. This whole series is that you know, and that's what the whole passage of 1 John is. And so if you're new here, if you've been here, some people are like, man, why doesn't Woodland Hills just teach exegetically? Why don't they teach line by line, verse by verse? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we go through just the book. And in and, and the next five weeks, we're going just through the five chapters of 1 John, which was written by the same person who wrote the fourth gospel and the book of Revelation, the, the, the apostle John, son of Zebedee. And, and so we do. And so here's my encouragement to you as a church family. There's five chapters in this book we're about to cover in the next five weeks. And so I would encourage you on Monday to read chapter one, Tuesday, read chapter two, Wednesday, read chapter three, Thursday, read chapter four, Friday, read chapter five. Okay, and then Sunday, just come and dive into what you, and it's going to be in you these next five weeks. And God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it, and it can breathe and breathe life and bring conviction, do all those things. Just do it. And, and I don't know if some of you had New Year's resolutions about working out more and reading the Bible, and those are already out the window. You stopped that about a week ago. And so nevertheless, that's okay. Just do this. Just five days a week, read one chapter of John. Five days a week, and then watch what this series will do. Watch how God will use this series and his word in your life. Because this John wrote this entire book so that you would know. Know what? That you would know others in fellowship with you, and that you would know that you are saved. That your faith is genuine, and that you are secure in your faith. And so chapter one, chapter one talks about walking in the light. So let's look at it. First John chapter 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, right? The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I think it's really important to understand here that witnesses saw Jesus, and not only just Christians are claiming that Jesus existed, you guys can look in the, the annals of Jewish history and the antiquities and, and the annals of Roman history, and there's historical documents outside of the Bible that claim that Jesus walked this earth. So atheists and agnostics have no problem with Jesus being a man and walking this earth. Atheists and agnostics wrestle the fact with whether or not Jesus was God. So it's not whether he's here, he was here. Everybody recognizes that. The question that gets caught up was, was Jesus actually God? And so it's important to know that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship. We're going to see this word a lot today. And there's a Greek word here, and it's koinonia. Say it. It's fun to say. Try that again. That was about half of you. If you cheer that loud at 2 o'clock, your chiefs are going to lose, okay? So let's try that again. Koinonia. On three. One, two, three. There you go, with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's this idea of koinonia, fellowship, and how important it is for believers and fellow believers, right? And we are writing these things, he tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, and he tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. The whole reason why he's writing this book is that your joy may be complete and that you may know that you are saved. That's the whole reason. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Salvation brings joy, not imprisonment. Following God is not a whole bunch of lists and to-dos and to-don'ts. He frees us from listianity. It's called Christianity. And you talk about joy. You learn this song when you guys were real little, little. Ready, watch. I got that joy, 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 joy. 
So this joy, Jesus is the source of joy. So, so your money and your job and your promotion not bringing you joy? Your accomplishments not bringing you joy? Your relationships not bringing you complete joy? It's because they're not your source of joy. They're never intended to be your source. Jesus is the source of joy. I got that joy down in my heart. And Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and they're connected and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Right? It's not just a get out of hell free card, pray. And I, I, no, no, you believe in your heart too. You surrender your heart to Jesus. And that joy is, is, is unfathomable. It, it's something that nothing else in this world can give you and nothing else in this world was intended to give you. Right? And so salvation brings joy, not imprisonment. Look at this. When David is convicted over this story, he says to me in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Think about that. David existed in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't step on the set until the New Testament. But, but, but David had this different experience than most people in the Old, Old Testament had with God. He had an intimate relationship with God that is only seen and explained in Psalm 51. What's crazy is that we call David a man after God's own heart. What do you mean he was? Yeah, I know he was, but do you know what he did? While all his boys were off fighting wars, his mighty men were protecting Israel and continuing fighting these wars. He's back home bored. And while he's back home, he's bored. And so he starts looking at some ancient day pornography known as Bathsheba taking a bath. And so he glances upon Bathsheba. And while he's looking at Bathsheba and, and observing her taking this bath, he decides, I want, I want her. And so he tells his boys, hey, go get her. I want you to go get her. And, and, so, and so somebody even tries to stop him. He's like, David, King David, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's Bathsheba, which is Uriah's wife. Remember, Uriah's one of your best friends. Like a lot of men, when they start thinking with their hormones and not the brain ahead of their shoulders, they start making dumb decisions. And he says, I don't care. Go get her. And I don't, I don't want to chop my head off. So basically, they go get Bathsheba against her will, also known as rape, brings Bathsheba in, sleeps with her, she was faithful to her husband. Her husband was a man of integrity. Sends her on her way. Thinks he's fine. Thinks he gets away with it. A couple weeks later, Bathsheba sends report to David, I'm pregnant. Uh-oh. So this man after God's own heart, now with this sin, which it does to us, it takes us farther than we want to go and keeps us all longer than we want to stay. That's what sin does. So David, having this image to uphold, starts trying to cover it up. She says, what am I going to do? I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I got an idea. He begins trying to justify. Instead of confessing his sin, he begins justifying his sin and allows it to take him farther than he ever wanted to go. He says, bring Uriah back, and I'm going to pretend like I'm getting a report for him. So they bring Uriah back from fighting this war. And he says, hey, Uriah, how's going? Everything great, great. Thinking that Uriah, after coming and giving David a report, would go back and sleep with his wife. And then he would cover it up as Uriah's wife, or that Uriah was the one that got Bathsheba pregnant. But Uriah had so much integrity. Why? He says, no, I can't. I can't be with my wife while my men are fighting. And so instead of going back to sleep with his wife that night, he sleeps on the palace steps. And David's like, shoot, my plan is not working. This, this is going awry. I, I got an idea. And so then the next night he said, I'm going to throw this big banquet. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite Uriah to this big banquet. We're going to get him drunk. And he's going to be drunk. And then he's going to be intoxicated. And then he's going to go sleep with his wife. But nope, he's got so much integrity. He refuses to even do it then. And he doesn't sleep with her again. So now David, allowing this sin to take him farther than he wants to go and keeping him longer than he wants to stay, he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a letter 
to Joab, who was Uriah's commanding officer. I'm going to write this letter, and in this letter, I'm going to tell Joab to put Uriah where the fighting is the most fierce, and then I'm going to pull back all his troops so he's on his own. He's going to basically get ambushed and killed. So David writes this letter, scrolls it up, hands Uriah his own death sentence, seals it with a king's seal. He grabs it. He goes, hands this to Joab, his commanding officer. Imagine Joab opening the scroll. Uriah, on this, one of their best soldiers, mind you, opens it. Shuts it. You're like, man, he must have done something. Nope, didn't do anything. Man of integrity walked in integrity. Sends him to where the fighting is most fierce, pulls his support back, and he's struck down and killed. News gets back to David that Uriah is dead, one of his best friends. David's like, great, go grab Bathsheba. She's my wife. That's great. This whole plan is working. I'm getting away with it. Nobody knows. Uriah doesn't even know. He didn't even know she was pregnant. This is perfect. Goes get Bathsheba, brings him in as his wife. King, King does this, and he thinks he's off clear. And then all of a sudden, Nathan the prophet shows up at his door. And Nathan tells a story in which gets David so upset until David realizes he was the main character in the story that Nathan was telling him. And then, then, then at that moment, David is convicted. So yes, as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of you. But so many times people ask, were they convicted? David wasn't convicted until he's called out. And remember, sometimes God is calling you up. He's not calling you out. His, his heartbeat is for your holiness. And so as a result of these atrocities, now he's an ancient Dane porn addict. He's a, he's a conspirator, a murderer, and an adulterer. And we call him what? Man after God's own heart. And here's why, is what happens in Psalm 51, which ties directly into 1 John and what we're looking at when it comes to confession. He cries out in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and sin are always before me against you, and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you prove right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inmost part. You teach me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Let me hear joy and gladness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then I will teach transgressions your way and blood guilty people will turn back to you. And then he ends this psalm with this. He says, you do not delight in burnt offerings or sacrifices. I want you to hear that because this is Old Testament. Yes, he did. In the Old Testament, the way you were forgiven of your sin was to bring sacrifices. It's not the New Testament yet, but that's not what he says. He says, you don't delight, you don't delight in my listianity. Go to church, read the Bible. Yes, that's a product of your salvation. That's evidence of your salvation, but that's not what God wants. He wants your heart. And then he finishes this psalm in the very last verse, and he says, the delight of God is a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Does your heart break for the things that break God's heart? Because David, right? And he faced the consequence for his sin. They took the child. But here's the crazy and most redeeming thing about David and Bathsheba. Through them came Jesus Christ. They were a part of the lineage. You want to talk about redemption? You want to talk about some of you in here and you knew you blew it? You want to talk about the fact that I know there's people in this room today that have unconfessed sin in their life? 
but God can redeem it? Because the reality is there's no past, present, or future sin of yours that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. But the power of your sin is in the unconfessed part of it, is in the darkness part of it. So let's go look. Why, why this is so important, why I'm pointing it out. 1 John 1, 5 through 8. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have... Come on, girl. If we say we have koinonia with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all, all. That's tomorrow's sin. In Psalm 37, David says, hey, forgive me of even my hidden faults. Right? Some of you guys even got hidden faults. You don't know what it is? Some of it's going to be idolatry at 2 o'clock today. Right? But we have so much sin in our life, we don't even know what that sin is. And David says, forgive me of even the sins I'm not even aware of that don't even come to mind. We, sin we don't need the gospel on the day that we are saved. We need the gospel daily. We need to be reminded of the gospel and what we're saved from every single day. We all are in desperate need of a Savior. And, and so he says, from all of our sin. All of it, but, but there's a point in order to be cleansed from all our sin. Because look at this, if we say we have no sin, well, I'll tell you what that is. That's pride, the fertile soil from which all other sins grow. So if any of you are like, well, I don't have any sin in here, well, let me come polish your halo and then introduce you to the word called pride, okay? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. I'm, 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 greater, I'm, I'm less than the least, he said of all sinners. Like Paul the apostle is saying how much sin he understands is depriving. And then 1 John 1, 9 is so powerful. Uh, it, it gets in to talk about the assurance of salvation versus the evidence of salvation. So there, there's two. There's, there's assurance I'm talking about, but let's look at evidence first. So the evidence of salvation is right here. So according to 1 John 1, 3, 1, 6 through 7, 1, 8, here's evidence that this is how to know that there's evidence of salvation in your life. Do you enjoy having with Christ and his redeemed people. Kathy Jensen, who's a dear friend, has done a phenomenal job at this church, which is, which is one of our purposes at this church, which is community, discipleship, and that you would be in groups. Mackenzie just made an announcement about this, that you would be in community with other believers. Are you in community with other? And I love how they set it up. If you didn't hear what she just said, there's short term because sometimes people can be awkward and you don't connect. That doesn't mean they're any different or lesser of a brother or sister in Christ. There's just not a vibe there. And then there's some that are long term because you really build that healthy connection in that community. But that you would be in community, right? That, that you would have fellowship with other believers because it's healthy to help them walk through life, to be in community with one another. It's an evidence of your salvation. Would people say you walk in the light or walk in the darkness? This is evidence of your salvation, that you're walking in the light, that you're not secret, that, you, that your spouse has full access to your phone, that she has full access to your computer, that she has full access to your life, that your community people that you trust and love have full access to your life. Walking in the light does not mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. But that, that you're willing to be transvested and confess your sin. That, that's walking in the light. And do you admit and confess your sin? That that's important. Let me, let me just confess with all of you. I had to confess my sin last week. So I helped coach my boys' basketball team. I got an 11-year-old that's ate up with basketball. He loves it, and I helped coach. I love the game. Saved me from a lot of ills. Well, we're a bunch of ballers on a budget, and so we have two number 14s on our team. It's just what it is. 
And so the refs have got to figure it out, but it is what it is. And so it came towards the end of the game, and the ref called a foul, and my son is one of our best free throw shooters. And so he said the foul was against number 14. I said, Aiden, go to the line. He goes, Daddy, they didn't foul me. They fouled the other 14. I said, Aiden, go to the line, shoot the free throws. I love the other kid, but he's lucky to hit the backboard. And so Aiden goes and shoots his free throws, swish, swish. We seal the deal. We win the game. I wake up the morning feeling completely convicted. So convicted. Just being sure. I'm not perfect. I need Jesus, okay? Don't judge me. I need Jesus too, all right? I walk into the living room. I tell my wife the story. She goes, you're an idiot. I go, I don't disagree. So I walk back to my son's room, and I say, Aiden, will you come here? I'm sorry. Like, like I'm really sorry. You tried to do the right thing. And I pray for you every night that you do the right thing, even when it's hard. And I stopped you from doing the right thing. Will you forgive me? Yeah, daddy gives me a big hug and, and just, just loves on me and I love on him. And, and, and I confess. And in that moment, I'm showing him I need Jesus. I need Jesus. His daddy's not a savior. There's a savior that loves him. And I need Jesus just as much. And in confessing that, and, certainly he's, and, and the reality is, I felt comfortable confessing because him and I have a relationship. We have an authentic relationship. There's trust built there. There's love built there. There's security built there. And when you enter into those community groups and that fellowship, you might not give them all your deepest, darkest right away, but as you build trust and secure and comfort, it helps you live in more authenticity, which is God's heart. So I'm not telling you to jump into a small group next week and just empty your laundry. They'll probably kick you out of your small group. No, they won't. I'm joking. But there's something to say about trust and security that other brothers and sisters in Christ can establish as you continue to get into that community, okay? So assurance of salvation, this is important. 1 John 1, 9 says this about assurance. If, big key word, if we confess our sins, insinuating that if you don't, the latter will happen, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The theologian says it this way. We can have the assurance from Christ's own word that our salvation will never be in question. Our assurance of salvation is based on the perfect and complete salvation God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? If the answer is yes, rest assured you are saved. Dr. Martin Lloyd joins. So, we do this evangelism deal with some of the students I disciple and, and as they get to share with people when we do our mission trips, we're about to do in the month of February. I told you I'm about to go to Lutheran. And one of the questions is simply this, and it's the same question I ask you. If you were to die today on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most assured and one not so sure, how confident are you that you'd go to heaven? And, and I'm always fascinated by the amount of people, ah, eight, seven, 6.5, and, and I said, why, why is that? Well, I, I made some mistakes this week, or I'm, I'm not reading my Bible that much, or I haven't been going to church. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you don't understand the gospel. Like, like, you can't dictate what was freely given to you. So you're either over here in a 10, like I know I'm going to heaven and it has nothing to do with me because when you start fluctuating from a 10, then you think it has something to do with your own effort and something you are doing. It's everything he did on the cross, period. P- 
period. That's what's so hard for people to get over is they think somehow they got to clean themselves up. They got to do more. They got to be better. No, that is not the gospel. The great and good news of the gospel is that while we couldn't put ourselves together, he did it for us. And so let me hear, I'm going to give you assurance of salvation right now. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have surrendered your heart to him, you've given him your heart, you've given him your life, and you believe that he lived the life we all should have lived, died the death we all deserve to die, was crucified innocently and sinlessly to take on your sin and mine, that he was buried, that he defeated death so you and I don't have to taste it, that he raised from the dead, that he ascended to heaven and sitting in the right hand of the throne of God, and he is coming back. If you believe that in your heart, you are a 10. You are a 10. If you don't believe that and you haven't surrendered and you haven't trusted in that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're not a 10. But there's nothing else more you have to do to be a 10. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, Romans 10, 9, and 10, John 3, 16, if you confess that he is Lord and he is Savior and you believe that in your heart, you are a 10, you are saved. There is your assurance. The enemy can't snatch you out of his hand once you've been placed in his hand. Can't lose it. It's his. It's a free gift. You're sealed with him. The promised Holy Spirit, a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. And that's important to know because the enemy tries to get you to question all of that. Gets you question all that. So I, I get to minister and love on a bunch of kids from the urban setting all year long. I, I, I help do a lot of basketball. So we, we have a lot of successful basketball players that go on to the NBA and high-level Division I programs and the whole bit. And so their whole life, they're told, you're the man, you're the man, you're the man. And then they run into this wall named Adam Donia that says, no, you're not the man. Jesus is the man. And as a matter of fact, no matter how much success you have on the court, it's not going to bring you joy. It's not going to bring you happiness. And so I, I share this video with them, and it always seems to permeate and connect. And so I'm praying for those of you that aren't a 10, that this video permeates and connects with you as well. Check it out. Who am I? What is the purpose of my life on, my life on this planet? Many go through life unfulfilled, unfocused, searching. A blank canvas waiting for a picture of purpose to be painted on us. What does it all mean? It was once said that there is a God-shaped blank in all of us. We look for many things to fill this. Friends, fashion, false faith, fornication, and the facade of drug-induced fantasies. But follow me. Follow me to the edge of an abyss where deep down inside we all know something's missing. See, from the moment God spoke time into existence and shaped us with his own hands in his own image, his plan was for man and him to be one. Creator and creation communing together in beautiful harmony. Sounds perfect, right? So what happened? Sin. We're sinners by nature. Sin opened this void. Sin drove us away from our friends. Sin separated us from him. And for many centuries since, we as human beings have attempted to bridge this ever-widening gap with philosophies and religion, wealth and so-called moral decisions. But the divisions became more instilled, that God-shaped hole in our hearts still unfilled, and mankind seemed doomed. Until, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
ye shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Oh, but <laughs> this wasn't no ordinary baby. See, he grew into a boy, then a man, then a preacher, leading a multitude of people with radical and really off-the-wall teachings like, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, turn the other cheek. He's the greatest teacher that ever was. But this was no ordinary preacher. See, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So for our sins, he had to pay the price. <laughs> they put nails in his hands betrayed and denied. They hung him high and stretched him wide on a cross for you and I. And over 2,000 years ago, spike through his side, the Son of God, our lamb slain before the world began, died. One of the most agonizing physical deaths that a person can suffer. They buried him in the tomb of a friend. For three days, his mother cried. And for three days, his disciples ran. But thanks be to the Most High, that's not how the story ends. Because three glorious days later, Jesus rose from the dead again. Oh, but this just wasn't any ordinary sacrifice. Because he became the way, the truth, and the life. And we now have a way through the Father, through him, through the cross. We're now able to get across that great divide caused by sin, separating us from him. And he's calling us, but we've got to come. See, the choice is still ours, but he has provided all the love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if we only believe that Jesus Christ paid this price, Jesus said, ye shall know the truth. No more separation. No more fear of death. No more holes in our heart. But we can now have eternal life. <laughs> you see, God gave man a choice. You either accept it or reject it. So 1 John really unpacks three tests to know evidence and assurance of salvation. The, the first is a doctrinal test. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The second is a moral test. Do you, do you obey his commands? Right? And, and not by your ability, but by the ability of the Holy Spirit in you that helps you walk in obedience. Not by your own works, but by the works of the Spirit manifest in your life. And then the third one is the love test. Do you love your neighbor and, and do, do you love others, right? We'll, we'll see how well you guys love your neighbor, the Baltimore Ravens fans today. But, but, but this is what I want to encourage you as we leave. Like, it's one or ten. And, and I don't ever want anyone to walk in Woodland Hills or listen to this online to ever feel like you're judged. or No, no, no. The joy of your salvation, we just have a desire for you to experience joy. So we have an amazing prayer team. And I saw them in the first service getting to pray with so many people. And, and you don't want to be called out, and I get that. But as people exit and as I pray, if you're not a 10, you're like, you know what? I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. There's not evidence in my life. There's not fruit in my life. I have never confessed my sin. It's, it's not weird. We don't do anything weird. I'm just saying there's people here in your life that want to pray with you and usher you into God's kingdom, which be far greater than the Chiefs ever win in another Super Bowl. I promise you that it will be the best decision you ever make. So if that's you, if you're in there, if you're in this chapel today and you're like, man, I'm not a 10. I'm maybe a six or a five or I'm a one. I'm going to invite you to come pray with our prayer team and just spend a little bit of time with them. Father God, thank you so much for this church body. Thank you for your word that shows us evidence and assurance of our salvation. 
Thank you for the work we're doing, and thank you for the fact that we are just desperate sinners in need of a desperate or in need of a great Savior, that you uh, supplied that in our desperation. So I just pray for this whole church family, and I just pray for any hearts in here that are lost, that they would come home to you today. And so we love you. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen.